but I will refer to that uh, in a minute. Not quite as tall. Let's open up in prayer as we uh, look to God to lead us and to teach us and to change us as we study his word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have done through Jesus Christ what we were unable to do. To pay the price for our sin and grant us eternal life. To give us a righteousness that's not our own, but a righteousness that comes from Christ through faith. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, so much more in plan for us than just the, the wonders of our eternity ahead. Lord, you have a plan for us within this world. That, Lord, that you want to bring about change in our lives. You want us, to, you have given us that high calling of being ambassadors for Christ. That we might be representatives, that we might display the character and love of Christ in the world in which we live. That we might be calling others to the same relationship with him. We thank you for what you have done to draw us to yourself for salvation. And we give you thanks as we see how you have begun and brought about change in our lives. And we continue to commit ourselves to you that you would bring about that ongoing change that our lives might display the wonderful, glorious character of Jesus Christ himself. So as we continue in a, a preaching through the fruit of the Spirit, may it not just be something else that we learn, may it be a time when we engage with you and you work and you encourage us and you challenge us to bring about that genuine gospel change. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know what I love about advertising stuff? And just for a secret, you get this bonus for free. When I did work experience in high school, I did work experience in advertising. I have no idea why. I'm sure there would have been some pretty weird ads out there now had I uh, continued to pursue that. But one thing I always see, when you see a product that advertises and it's got big claims, there's something within me that says, I want to put that to the test. Like Corel, and I'm not promoting them, have a plate they call unbreakable. And I've seen, you can look around YouTube, you'll find various videos of people putting to the test and they do stand up to the test. But there's part of me thinks, those things have got a limit, haven't they? Sure, I'll try, start up on stage. That doesn't work. I'll get up on the roof. Certainly you've got to get, I don't care if I need to get it in the highest story of one of the big hotels in Brisbane. So eventually those things are going to break because it's fun breaking stuff, isn't it? But imagine if I went to scrubbed a plate out of the kitchen. I was supposed to do that when I took Miller over to Crash, but I forgot. How's it going to stand up to the test if I grab some of the Philharmonic Society's plates? Maybe I'll just start here on the carpet. Maybe go for a harder surface. How do you think it's going to fare? We know when we see our everyday home plates, we know just by looking at certain objects, what's going to happen if we put them under pressure. We know what things are going to break. We know what things are fragile. People aren't that easy to read. You can't tell just by looking at someone who is fragile. Matter of fact, our human nature, even if we are fragile, is we try to hide it. So unlike the plate, when you drop it, 
or you do something to it, you see immediately what's going to happen. You could hurt and damage someone majorly and have no visual cues that you've done that. So much as we've looked through the fruit of the Spirit, talks about how we relate to one another. If you're visiting or if you haven't been here for some of the series, we've been working through the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, This is our ninth in the series. But we've defined the fruit of the Spirit or spiritual fruit as being any transformation in character, attitude, actions in the life of a Spirit-led believer by the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. In other words, so godly characteristic being produced by the Spirit in the life of a Christian. And one of the things that we've illustrated along the way is how we go about producing that fruit. Our primary pursuit is a closer relationship with Jesus. Now, we've used the example of that apple tree. If you want apples in your backyard, your primary pursuit is not just, I want apples. Your primary pursuit is buying the tree, preparing the soil, looking after the tree. And so in that sense, we're speaking about our primary pursuit. If we want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, is a close relationship with Jesus, which both gives us the desire for these things as we see the things that he wants. We want to do the things that he wants, but is also the means and the source of the enabling for us to walk in these things. Today is the first time that we're going to be deviating outside of the list that we see in Galatians chapter 5. Gentleness is within that list. But today we're also going to be looking at compassion, which you would have noticed is in the reading that we had before the sermon. Uh, Following week we're going to look at self-control, then the week after that another one outside the list we're going to look at thankfulness. But why looking at things like compassion, things that aren't in the list? Now we saw in Galatians 5 that it said at the end of it in verse 23, and things such as these as though it was never intended to be a a comprehensive list. Like if the fruit of the Spirit is God's character on display in the life of his people, God's character is not limited to a list of nine things. And nor is this the only passage which speaks about the types of things that we are called to produce. Matter of fact, you would have noticed in the reading that we had from Colossians 5, there is a very similar structure to that in, in Galatians 5, sorry, Colossians 3 where there's a list of things that says these things are your fleshly nature, these things need to be put to death, these things need to be put off. Yet equally there is a pursuit of this new godly character enabled by the Spirit. Like in verse 5 it said, put to death which belongs to the old earthly nature. Then verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complained against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And and it goes towards the end, and be thankful. The things I've got highlighted there are things specifically that appear in this list that are outside the list of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So while we're going to finish this series in a couple of weeks, we're still not going to have covered everything that could be described as being the fruit of the Spirit. But firstly, we're going to look at gentleness. When was the last time when you were talking with someone about how you could pray for them, someone says, 
I would like you to pray for me that I would be more gentle. Anyone? When was the last time you heard someone say, I'm really struggling to be gentle? When was the last time you prayed for yourself that you would grow in gentleness? Ever? It's an interesting question. Because sometimes people think, where does gentleness fit into the Christian life? There are three passages that are very similar to Galatians 5, including Galatians 5. There's one in Colossians 3 we've just read. There's also a similar one in in Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about putting off the old fleshly nature and putting on the new godly character. And guess what? In every single one of those three lists, And the godly character, you'll find that gentleness appears in every single one of those three passages. See it there in the Galatians 1, gentleness. Colossians, in case you miss it, it's the same word that we see there. It's translated in English as meekness. It's the same word that's translated as gentleness elsewhere. And you see it also in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. So why is there so little focus on something that all three of these passages speak about? What do you, what do you think about when you hear gentleness? Our first thoughts kind of think gentleness sounds a bit, bit weak, sounds a bit wussy, doesn't kind of seem like the way things fit together in my mind. Well, you might come to mind thoughts of Second Timothy where it says, For God gave us not a spirit of fear or timidity, as the NIV says, but of power and love and self-control. And part of you might think, how does gentleness fit with the idea of power and love and self-control? Gentleness and power to our mindset might seem completely at odds to one another. And that's usually because we don't know what the Bible means when it says gentleness. The Bible, when it says gentleness, does not mean weakness. Matter of fact, probably a good definition would be something like this. The gentleness is strength under control, power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions to build one another up. So it is a willing surrender of such power or your position or your authority in order to stoop down for the benefit of building another person up. That is what gentleness is. It's not about weakness, it's not being a doormat, but it is strength and wisdom used in such a way that surrenders its own personal rights in order to benefit another. Now as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, every single one of them, not only is it something that is produced by the Spirit, but it is the character of God himself. So you can rule out weakness as being a definition of what gentleness means because the almighty God certainly is not described as one who is weak or a doormat. We think of him in terms of power and authority. But these things are not mutually exclusive. Take a look at how they go hand in hand in Isaiah chapter 40. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not and say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with great might. You think, there you go, that's the sort of power and authority that I think of when I think of God. And his arm rules for him. 
Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. And this is how it talks, how he comes with this might. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So here it talks about God coming with all his power and all of his might. And that's being expressed in a way that is caring, tender like a shepherd, gentle, carrying them in his bosom. So this idea of Christian or biblical or godly gentleness is not weakness. God himself is gentle. God himself is powerful. To give you yet another example, Hosea chapter 2. The very first half of Hosea chapter 2 lists all the ways in which the nation of Israel has been disobedient. God says, this is what I'm going to do. This is your consequences. This is your punishment. But then he goes on to say, therefore, this is how he's going to deal with it. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I'll give her vineyards and make the valley of Acor into a door of hope. And there she shall answer as she was in the days of her youth at that time when she came out of the land of Egypt. So he says, this is where you're at. This is your consequences. But God deals gently, leading them aside, speaking tenderly to them, calling them back unto himself. Jesus described himself as being gentle. Famously in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me all who labour and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus describes himself as being gentle. The almighty King of kings and Lord of lords is gentle. Doesn't mean that he's lacking in power. But we see that gentleness expressed where the almighty God has stepped down into our world, stooped himself down, rather insisting on everything that he deserved in this world. He laid down his life to bring about salvation. In Psalm 18, we see a very good picture of the nature of God and his gentleness. The psalmist writes, You have been... You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness has made me great. Or the NIV, you have stooped down to make me great. That's gentleness in action. To willingly surrender what you think you deserve for yourself in order to stoop down and benefit and help another. Choosing to take a lowly position not insisting upon your right, but out of your genuine concern for another to benefit them. You won't find a better picture of that than Philippians 2, when it speaks of Jesus who humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, taking on human flesh, was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, in order that he may save a people. The same Jesus who was gentle, lowly in heart, is the same one who turned over tables. He's the same one who spoke harshly to those who were harsh towards him. But wherever there was 
brokenness, wherever there was someone with a glimmer of trust and responsiveness, there is always nothing but gentleness. Think of Jesus there at the woman at the well in in John chapter 4. She's had all these other guys beforehand and he tells her that the guy she's living now isn't even her husband. But he doesn't put it in a harsh way, does he? He just states these things. The way that prompts her to think about her condition and then gently shows her the need that she has that she might look to that need, the salvation that Jesus offers. So having a little bit of look at what gentleness is, sometimes it helps to clarify a definition by looking at what isn't gentleness. I mean, what, what would be the opposite of gentleness? If gentleness is, is foregoing your prestige, your reputation, your own rights, in order to stoop down to help another one, what would be the opposite? I'd say the opposite would be harshness. Absolute no consideration for other people's feelings. It's all about you. Paul sets those two at odds in 1 Corinthians 4 and he says, what do you wish? Shall I come with a rod? In other words, shall I come harsh, harshly toward you? Or opposite, with a love, a spirit of gentleness. And we think back to the illustration of the plates. As I said, you can have a plate and sometimes when you just grab a particular item, you can just tell. If you do something to it, you know what's going to happen. It's going to break. It's going to smash all over the place. People aren't that easy to read. You can do great damage to someone and have no visible idea that you've done that. People are fragile. And often the most fragile people are also very good at hiding that. If we are to be God's family, a people who replicate the gentleness that God has replicated with us, then we have genuine concern for one another. How often do you see that someone is so passionate to bring about change in someone that they're so keen for an outcome that they've got so little concern for the person? It could be something like a particular doctrine, someone's got a different idea and someone's just so keen that they think they're so wrong and they need to learn this new thing that they just absolutely hammer them and smash them. Or maybe someone's life's just not living up to the standard which it should do and they're very keen to see that person correct and change the way in which they live. So passionate to see that change happen that they forget they're dealing with a human being. They want a result. They want to say, I changed that person, I turned that person around. Now, as you look through the life of Jesus, you'll see that he was very firm with those who opposed him. But those who were weak, those who knew their desperate need of something else, you see the gentle way in which he dealt with them to expose their need, but also to provide for their need. I used to do a bit of work with prison fellowship, and this used to be their key verse. As you can imagine, inside the prison system, there's a lot of very hurt and broken people. Verse from Matthew 12, 20, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And if we are to be gentle as Christians, 
our concern as we deal with one another should never purely be the outcome or a particular result. Our concern should be for our brothers and sisters. People are not unbreakable despite the appearances that we may give across. We shouldn't just desire a result. We shouldn't just desire to want to be perceived to be right, but we should want to gently lead someone to the right place because we are concerned about them. As Christians, we're called to be gentle and sensitive and respectful in all of our dealings. When sharing the gospel, we're told in First Peter, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We've seen a lot of people present the gospel or try to present the gospel in a way that just looks like dead set hate. Saying, this is how you are living, you are sick, God hates you. Westboro Baptist Church would be a very famous example of what that looks like to do it without gentleness and respect. How we restore a fellow believer who is backsliding, we're told in Galatians 6. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch for yourself lest you too be tempted. Now it should, it should grieve us when others around us are falling into sin. But our desire should see them, want them to be restored to what is best for them. Not just to tell them, oh I'm so good, I don't do this, you're doing this wrong, you need to be good like me. Probably why that verse finishes was, says keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Because whatever else someone else is struggling with, we have every bit possibility of struggling with the same thing. And how would we like to be dealt with in the same situation? Even how we correct someone, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Far too often we are far too quick to try and fix a problem and in the process we ruin the person. Gentleness is not about proving yourself to be right or showing yourself to be right. Gentleness is about desiring to bring gently the other person to the right place. Those who have kids know with the way in which they would raise their kids, they're trying to guide them in, into the right things, to the things that are best for them. And that should be the way in which we nurture and care for one another. Paul describes the way he dealt with the Thessalonians in a way that probably doesn't fit our perceptions of what Paul is like. Now, we, tender sort of gentle terms aren't really the way we picture Paul. You certainly don't picture him as being the kind of guy there on his rocking chair on a Sunday night knitting a cardigan. I'd love to think that he did, but I don't believe he did. But look at this way that Paul speaks of his dealings with the Thessalonians. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for with others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
If I was asked you to describe Paul, that's probably not the definition you would have given me, would it? Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. Think about the way the mother cares for a child. They tenderly provide and feed them the things which they need. They protect them from the things that are dangerous for them. They provide them for the things that are good for them. That's the way Paul said that he dealt with the church. Yet we see in Paul's dealings with things, when things need to be spoken firmly, he does say. Just like as parents, when you see your child going to do something that's going to cause certain damage and danger, you do say firmly. You don't just think, I'll just let it go. So gentleness is not weakness. There is power, there is wisdom. But there is a surrendering your own rights. There is a stooping down because your desire is to see the other lifted up. And the example that we have of that is the example of Christ. The one who would be perfectly within his right to say, you guys have all let me down. You're going to get what you deserve. Yet he was the one who stooped down, entered into our world, who died our death on our behalf, so that through faith in him we could have not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life. The second and the one that's not in Galatians 5 is compassion. And there is a slight correlation between the two in that it still requires sensitivity to other people's feelings. Compassion I would define as to feel pity or compassion towards the suffering others in a way that responds in action. As Christians, we're called to be compassionate because we're called to represent God. God who has been compassionate towards us, constantly compassionate towards us, we are not called to be cold towards others who are suffering or indifferent for that matter. We see it as part of God's very character. He reveals himself in 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Mercies there is translating the same Greek word which we have as compassion elsewhere. So he's the, he is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, not just some of it, not just occasionally, for the purpose so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort for which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Have you received compassion and comfort from God? Because if you have, you are called to exercise that same compassion and comfort towards others in all of their affliction. He is the example. Sometimes we are so quick to forget the way in which he has dealt with us or lost appreciation of the way in which he's dealt with us that we kind of make it common. Yet a person whose heart is captivated by the way in which God has dealt with them will overflow with thankfulness in a way that will want to see others experience that in the way in which we interact with them also. One thing you'll find interesting is you'll look through, if you did a search on the word compassion throughout the scriptures, you'll find the place where it happens the most is in the Gospels. And the main time you'll see it happen is you see Jesus had compassion upon someone or a group of people 
and he acted. There's none of the times there where you see it says that Jesus had compassion and he just felt a little bit sad and he thought, oh well, things aren't real good for them, sucks for them. Every time Jesus sees a need, has compassion, he acts. To give one example from Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest may send out laborers into the harvest. Every time he had compassion, he acts to do something for their benefit. So while compassion is indeed a feeling, it affects us emotionally, it should prompt us to do something. James even goes so far to question the nature of faith that that feels something that does nothing. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Well, by implication, it's no good. What's the good of saying, oh, sorry, sorry to hear that you're going through that, that's no good, and doing nothing? But some of us find ourselves in the middle of the frustration that we see someone genuinely hurt and we feel deeply for them. But we get stuck and think, I don't know what to do. I want to do something, but I'm scared I'll do the wrong thing. I'm sure every one of us have experienced that. Someone's hurting deeply. You want to do something. You're scared if you do the wrong thing, you might make it worse. But sometimes our inactivity, whether we intend to or not, can be misinterpreted by the person who is hurting and grieving as being your disinterest. I don't know the amount of times I've heard about people who are going through a really rough point in time. And they said, you know what was the most special thing to me, the thing that helped me the most? was friends who just came around, we just watched pizza, not watched, but ate pizza, watched a movie. We just sat together, had a chat, we just hung out together, just to have some people around me. Guess what? You can all do that. You can hang out with people, I believe. You've managed to get here this morning. Soon we'll find out at lunch whether or not you're also capable of eating pizza. It doesn't have to be pizza. But don't allow our sense of inadequacy to cause us or to hinder us from expressing our compassion and our concern for others. Now, some people are naturally confident in their ability and think, yep, I've got this all under control. Others, myself included, always really doubt that I actually have anything worthwhile to offer. Do something. If you're not sure, pray and ask God, I want to help this person, what can I do? You certainly don't want to add to it by doing nothing and potentially communicating that you don't care. But as we look at both gentleness and compassion, both of them call for a a consideration for the other person's feelings. If gentleness is the opposite of harshness, it's not about you. It's about the other person. It's about you actually intentionally taking a lower position in order to benefit the other person. 
because you desire what's best for them, not what's best for you. Compassion, likewise, having a sympathy for others through their times of suffering and hardship that doesn't just feel, but thinks, how can I help? I belong to the God of all compassion who desires, if this part of the fruit of the Spirit, if all the fruit is the domain of all Christians, if this is what the Spirit wants to work through his people, I trust God that you will work through me to do this. How will you use me? And I want to finish the way in which I think we finished in our last one as well. To finish in a time of prayer and reflection. Things I want us to think about in a time of quiet prayer is one, have you been harsh to someone? And if you have, that God would show that to you and how potentially it can bring about forgiveness and restoration. But what about someone that you know in your midst who is genuinely struggling? That you've thought for ages, I really want to do something. And you haven't. That God might show how we can demonstrate our care and concern and compassion for that person. But one thing I also want to add to that is I realise quite often I'll do things like this and then when you're looking at practical instructions of how we're called to live as Christians, then we'll talk about, okay, let's pray about the things that we don't do as well as we should. The problem is that we can sometimes think, well, every week I just suck at being a Christian. I don't live up to that high standard. And that's true. We don't in any of them. So in addition to that, one thing I want us to include in our time of prayer is to think about how God has expressed his gentleness to you, how God has expressed his compassion to you. Because if all we think about is how we fail, yet we're not overly thankful for all the ways in which we abundantly receive from God of these things, then it's just going to feel like defeat, isn't it? Let's remember what God has done for us and as we're overwhelmed um, to think about how we can reflect that to those around us. So I'll have a quiet time of prayer uh, to ponder those things where you are and then I will close us in prayer. that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. On a daily basis, I know how much I deserve to be confronted, how much you would have every right to speak harshly about my condition, how I relate to others, how I relate to you. Lord, we thank you that you are patiently bearing with us, gently reminding us of the call that you have called us to. But Lord, help us to never forget the way in which you have dealt with us. The way that you have stooped down into our world. That that is the nature of your characters to to seek and to save. 
to come to those who are weak, to come to those who are broken, to not insist upon your right, but to to act for the benefit of, of those in their time of need. We thank you that you are a God of compassion who has seen the hopeless state of our, of our situation because of our sin. That yours wasn't just a, an emotional feeling, you acted. And you acted in a way that provided everything that we need. Lord, we know that we don't always know how to respond to provide exactly the best way for the other. But Lord, help us to uh, turn our feelings into actions that we would support one another, that we would care for one another in our hard times in the way in which you have cared for us. Help us to appreciate you and help us to uh, trust you and to ask for the work of your spirit to bring about this transformation in our life that we might engage with others in a like manner. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.